excited Ian and I that once again we can bring to you the Word of God. In fact, we believe the unadulterated Word of God, the perfect Word of God that can meet your need and build up your ministry. We started a new series this morning, namely Nehemiah. And um, we will continue with the other series as well, what is in your hand, but we just felt you've been listening to what's in your hand for some months now, and we feel maybe you need something extra. Maybe you need some dessert. Amen. You were having some meat, but now for some dessert as well. The chapter I'm going to deal with today is chapter one, and I've entitled the teaching or preaching as leaving the comfort zone. Let's read um, uh, from verse 2 of chapter 1. And that Hananah, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burnt with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open, that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you, and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances, which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, if you are in favor, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were, were cast out to the furthest part of the heavens, here will I gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O oh Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name, and let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. May God add his blessing to the reading of his precious and holy word. Amen. Let's pray. Father, throughout the church, O God, there is constant attacks against the church. Throughout the church world is persecution. And yet God, even though the church goes through these horrible distresses, persecutions, we know that you will always raise men and women up to go, O oh God, and do a wonder work in these areas. I pray, God, as I would preach and teach this morning, that the quickening power of the Spirit of God will come upon me. Help me to choose the right words, although they are written down. Help me, O oh God, to speak 
not only to the mind of God's people, but to the inner man of God's people. Let them know God. For such an hour have they been called. They, God, can make changes for the betterment in the church. Let them know, O oh God, that they are called of you for an hour such as this. And I pray it in Jesus' name with much thanksgiving. God, as you well know, speaks to his people from the written word and via the Spirit of God. Scholars refer to this as a Logos word and a Rhema word. I had great satisfaction from reading and studying God's word. For over the years, I have purposely adopted a method of reading and studying the word of God. I call this method the threefold method. Number one, first and foremost, I consider the history of the text. Number two, I ask myself, although this is history, how does Jesus, the Son of God, fit in this particular text? Then thirdly, I ask myself, what is the text saying to me personally? Simply meaning, I endeavor to make definite spiritual application from the text to my personal walk and commitment to God as a servant of the Lord. Now, let's consider the history of the text which we have written. This portion of scripture, in fact, the entire book, deals with the call of Nehemiah. It deals with the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. In the book, the main character is none other than Nehemiah. And once again, names are very important. Names, as far as I'm concerned, and even Ian and Mrs. D is concerned, they carry special characteristics. And Nehemiah means consoler, comforter. And the book of Nehemiah tells us historically of how Nehemiah consoled the Jerusalem people and how he comforted the people of Jerusalem. And by the way, very important, Jerusalem means the city of peace. And what he had heard from Hananel, I can't even pronounce the name, what he had heard does in no way speak of peace. Listen to the news that was conveyed to Nehemiah, the consoler and the comforter. Number one, the people were in great affliction and reproach. Number two, the walls of Jerusalem were broken down. Number three, the gates of the city are burned with fire. Now, it's important sometimes to do brief word studies. And the word affliction means distress, pain, and evil. Reproach means disgrace and shame. You were God's elect, God's people who he, whom he had set aside to take the word of God, the law of God to the nations. The so-called covenant people of God. And surely what they were going through 
in no way is convincing that they were the covenant people of God. For the simple reason, it seemed as if the blessings of God were far removed from them and they were living in distress, pain, sorrow, disgrace. This, no doubt, was not a good testimony for the people of God. And I ask you the question this morning, my dear brother and my dear sister, what state are you in this morning? What state is your family in? What state is your community in? What state is your church in? Is the state that you are now presently living in, does it bring glory and honor to God? Is it a testimony that will attract others to you and to the Lord? Or is it a testimony that will remove people far away from you? Because all that they see in your life, in the life of your family, in the life of your community, in the life of your church, nothing but heartache and pain and distress. It seems that around you, there's nothing else but heartache. We've got to do something about this. Amen. Now, when Nehemiah heard these distressing news. Notice his reaction. Notice how the man of comfort and consolation reacts to the sad and bad news. First and foremost, he sat down. Secondly, he wept. Thirdly, he mourned. Fourthly, he fasted. And number five, he prayed before the God of heaven. This is important that we note who he prayed unto. He prayed unto the God of heaven. Now, notice concerning his first reaction. Nehemiah sat down. Now, I would say, if I would hear sad news of my family, of my community back home in South Africa, or even sad news about the community and the church, I, 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 I don't suppose I will sit down. I'll probably stand, shout, and scream. But this man was a man appointed and anointed by God. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a king. He was simply a cup bearer. He was an ordinary man in the street. But although he was an ordinary man, the hand of God was upon him. And therefore, in this sense, he was an extraordinary man. A man appointed for a time such as this. Now, it is always wise to emulate people of this caliber. He heard the bad news. He sat down. In other words, although the sad news affected him, he took hold of himself. He never allowed the bad news to control him. He sat down. Yes, he wept, but he sat down to collect his wits. He sat down to ponder. He sat down to calm himself that he would not act irrationally. And I always say this, whenever difficulty comes your way, sit down 
allow the peace of God, the wisdom of God, the power of the Spirit of God to flood your being. It's important not to become irrational and respond to situations in such a way that you lose your peace. Sit down, my brother. Sit down, my sister. Sit down, man of God. Compose yourself. Yes, although he sat down, the scripture says he wept. You know, uh, uh, it takes a man to cry. And I'm so glad in the scripture, the Bible says, the scripture says that Jesus, he wept. The shortest verse in the Bible, just two words, Jesus wept. This man wept. And I believe in a sense he wept bitterly because this man, and we, we elaborated on it further, this man had the heart of God. Then the Bible says he mourned. Now what I'm going to say now, I cannot prove. But if you read the Old Testament, whenever people mourned, it was acting out their sorrow. And what was done by many people, and Job had done this, I believe, and also some other, other instances of the Bible, some people had done it, they take ash and they throw it over themselves. Or they even go further, they put on sackcloth and ashes. In some way, he afflicted himself. I, I, I read also, uh, probably only in the Old Testament, not in the New Testament, it might be, but some of them even pluck their beard. They pull their hair as a sign of sorrow and mourning. Then he done something which I feel we need to do more of in our day and age. To bring definite, wonderful, good changes to ourselves, our family, our community, and our churches, and more so our country and even the entire world. This man of God fasted. This man of God fasted. You know the scripture says in the New Testament, Jesus said to these, to these, uh, 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 to his disciples and apostles, when they could not cast out the demon uh, uh, from a little boy. I'm not sure it was sure it was a boy, but someone was possessed, and Jesus said, "These don't come out but by fasting and prayer." You know, if we want to do something constructive in God's work then fasting gives us an understanding that we empty ourselves of self. We, in a sense, separate ourselves from the niceties of, of the world, the niceties of our, our family and our community, and we shut ourselves in with God. We fast to do what? Why do people fast? Let's, let me say this to you. It's imperative. It's vital. It's important. We fast for this purpose, to empty ourselves of ourselves and to fill ourselves with God. Fasting is not just refraining from food and water and the niceties of life. Fasting is emptying yourself. Fasting is an act of contrition. The Bible says if we humble ourselves, fast and pray, then God will heal our land. And God cannot heal our land before God heals us individually. So it's a self-emptying and a confessing. Amen. And then putting on the glory and the power of God. Let me say this. It's important. 
Let me say this. For God to fill you with power, for God to use you in the future, God has to empty you of you first and then fill you with himself. Because we can never do the work of God in our own ability. There has to be a humbling. There has to be a self emptying Yes, maybe we won't put on sackcloth. Maybe we won't throw ashes over our body. But we will afflict our body. We will afflict our senses. Amen. Then last but not least, this man prayed. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. But the Bible is specific. The Bible is explicit. It says clearly, he prayed before God of heaven. Amen. Amen. His prayer was directed to the everlasting God, the almighty God. Notice. No, 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 notice, please, please notice the chronological sequence of how this man reacts. He doesn't go to a friend. He doesn't go to perhaps a priest. He doesn't go to a counselor. He doesn't go to the king. He first and foremost goes to God. This is the order. When pain floods our soul, when heartache rips our heart asunder, when the problems of life weigh heavily down upon us and we wring our hands in despair, knowing not what to do, the first and foremost that you do, the first person you go to is God, not the last person. You know, one of the common things that just popped in my head now, you know, when people need money, and more so Christians, for, 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 for dire need. They go to Tom, Dick and Harry to borrow money. Ian, 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 Ian had a wonderful experience. Two weeks ago, his car was written off. He needed money for a car. And, and sad to say, he never had the money. He told me of the situation that he'll get paid out so much for uh, the, the previous car, and I said, don't worry, my boy. I said, all things work together for good. God will give you something better. He never went to Tom, Dick, and Harry begging to, for help because uh, uh, what he was uh, given for the previous car as an insurance wasn't enough money. And I said to him, don't worry, brother. You've gone to God. God will meet your need. And you know what? God gave him enough money. God used his friends and they gave unto him. And you know what? He's got the car, the new car. He never ran to Tom, Dick and Harry. He prayed to the God of heaven. Don't ever, don't ever let God be your last resort. No, my friend. If you go to God first, all things work out. No weapon formed against us can prosper. If God is for us, who in the world, who in hell can be against us? <laughs> Greater is he <laughs> that is in me and in you than what and who is in the world. Hallelujah. One more thing about prayer, and I shared this before. And by the way, the law of re reiteration is vital. 
saying things over and over to people and to the congregation imparts the teaching to them. Prayer is a powerful uh, spiritual instrument. And let me give you the acronym again for prayer. P-R-A-Y-E-R. Prayer reveals almighty yes to us, which is Jesus or Yahweh, the Father God, eternal righteousness. Prayer reveals almighty Yeshua's or Yahweh's eternal righteousness. When you pray, God answers righteously, which means God acts in holy action towards thee. Ha <laughs> ha, towards you. Now, Nehemiah did not react immediately. He was not hasty to react. He thought for some time how he could affect the situation in Jerusalem. And that constructively. He was not impulsive. You know, one of the things that I find in my life, and even Peter the Apostle was like this, and, I, and I'm in no way comparing myself to him. Oh, no, 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 no. You know, impulsiveness always leads to disappointment. Impulsiveness always leads to, what's the word I'm looking for? Defeat? Oh, sucks. Uh, impulsiveness always leads to failure. Men of God are not impulsive. Men of God, they might weep and cry and pray, but they sit before God. Why? Why do we sit before God? To hear a word from God that God might direct our steps. Our steps are ordered by the Lord. When something is going wrong, don't be impulsive, don't be hasty and run there and try to sort out things. Because if you do, you're doing it in your own strength. And your strength and my strength our knowledge and all this, what we've gained over the years, will surely fail. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's but by the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God alone. Now, a genuine man of God will always be effective spiritually. When hearing bad news about the people of God, no wonder he wept and that bitterly. He mourned, like I said, putting on sackcloth probably. He fasted, he stopped eating. And, and how could this man eat when his brethren in Jerusalem were denied? They were poor, they were afflicted. They had no niceties uh, that he had been, been in the palace of, of, of a king. He prayed with God, prayed to God rather, with tears and heartache. Now, now let us consider Remember the, the, the threefold method I've spoken about? Now let's consider the Lord Jesus in all this and how do we do this? Number one, we consider the actions of Nehemiah. Jesus, the Bible says, is a true picture, or rather, Jesus yes, is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. Just as the pain, the disgrace, the agony of the people of Jerusalem became Nehemiah's pain and agony and disgrace, in the same way, our Lord Jesus Christ touched the feeling of our infirmities, takes our pain, takes our agony, our disgrace. It becomes his pain, his agony, his disgrace. And that all occurred on the cross of Calvary. He did not just take our sins and thank God he took our sins to the cross. But he took our shame, our disgrace. 
He took all that was evil and bad, a marginalization, a ostr ostr uh, being ostracized, being unaccepted in society. And what he done? He made us acceptable unto God. We that were poor became rich. We that were unrighteous was made righteous because of Jesus. Simply because he took all which was bad upon us, which was upon us, and he took it to himself. And what happened there? It was just not taking away from us all that which was negative, but he took that which was positive and good, and he gave it to us. What did he give? He gave a new life. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Praise God. All things pass away and all things become new. Poverty goes. Wealth is, uh, uh, wealth replaces. When I say wealth, I don't only mean money. I mean wealth of life, joy, peace, and happiness. We've got a new nature. No more a sinful nature. We now have, the, have a godly nature. Oh, praise God. Praise God, Nehemiah was of that mold. He was a picture of Jesus way before Jesus, way before, way before the word of God was made flesh. I ask you the question, now making spiritual application in your home, in your, in, in your community, in your workplace, in your church. Are you a type of Jesus as Nehemiah was a type of Jesus? I see Jesus in Nehemiah's actions. Do people see Jesus in your actions? Oh, hallelujah. You know, we fail to understand that when we, were, when we were born again, we were baptized into Jesus. Our spirits were died. Our nature was died into the nature and character of, of, of Jesus. That when the Father looks down from heaven, he sees Jesus in us. No flesh can stand before for, for God. And what I'm saying is this. Of people seeing a picture of Jesus in your life and my life. Spiritual application must be made. History. Uh, it's just history, man. History. If, if you don't learn from history and let history change your now, then history is futile. It is senseless. Hallelujah. Now, another very important point concerning Nehemiah. He was touched with the feelings of other people's infirmities, just as Jesus is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Jesus took our sickness upon you even. Hmm? You took that whooping all for you and I. But now another important point. The Bible teaches, the God of word teaches, the unadulterated word says that faith without works is dead. What a scripture. Faith without works is dead. Why do you suppose that this dreadful and sorrowful news came to, my, to Nehemiah? God believed that Nehemiah would do something constructively about Jerusalem. Now, let me say this, my friend. And I speak to you, I speak to myself, I speak to him, and I speak to Mrs. D, my lovely wife. Notice, Nehemiah only heard. Now, <laughs> let's take it. Faith coming by hearing the, the word of God. He never heard the word of God. He heard bad news and sad news. But what he heard moved him. And here, the, here, here is the gross distinction between Nehemiah and you and I and Ian and Mrs. D and the church. 
Nehemiah only heard. He never saw it. He never saw it. And you and I, we don't only see it, we live in it. It's around us all times. And yet, and yet, we're still seated. Yes, I did say that Nehemiah sat down. But he never sat down for long. He got up from his B.O.T. Tom and he'd done something constructive to change the situation and that for the good, that once again, the glory, the power and the love of God might flood Jerusalem and its inhabitants. It's one thing, one thing to have faith, but faith without works is dead. Let me give you a classic example. Have you and I ever considered the word about that great man, Job? They say Job. <laughs> if you don't know the Bible, you'll say Job. <laughs> but <laughs> but it wasn't Job, it was Job. And you ever considered this man? You know, this man had faith in God. And you might say, oh yes, yes, yes. Oh, I have faith in God. I trust God for this, that, uh, my rent to be paid and this to be paid, blah, blah, blah. I trust God that, that my wife gets healed. I trust God that the kids go to school and they become good people. Yeah, you trust in God. And you have faith in God. But let me say this, my friend. And I'm saying it not pointing the finger. Because like you, there are times that I have faith in God. But I wonder, I wonder, I ponder, has God got faith in me? It's one thing to have faith in God, but another thing for God to have faith in you. Satan gave his report. And then God said, have you considered my servant Job. <laughs> Here was God's prized possession. Here was God's apple of his eye that was living up to the standards of God's word. Here was a man, although the rest of the world was going astray, doing that which was contrary to the word of God. Here was a man that stood tall amongst the crowd. And I have this to say, I believe he was a short man. But when the power of God came upon him and he lived according to God's standards, God raised him up. Hallelujah. I wonder, I wonder, has God considered you? Has God considered me? Has God considered Ian? Has God considered Mrs. D? Has God considered your pastors? It's not what you know. And we know so much, but we live so little of what we know. And when we live at what we know to the glory of God, then God will exclaim from the heavens, have you considered my son? Have you considered my daughter? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's continue. Sometimes people wonder why they're not made aware of the problems in the church. Why they are never told of the heartache and the despair. 
what's going on. The rumblings, the infighting, the, 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 the division that, that, that is sweeping through. The, the, the church at times on the verge of disrupting. The church at, at some point in time about to split. Some people are never told. They never, they never hear. And, and because they never hear, they will never see. You know why? Because their concentration is upon themselves. They look for three people like I've done. And I still do sometimes. God forgive me. I live for I, me, and myself. We've got to change, brethren. Open our eyes. Let's see what's happening. Pray. Let God give us, let God give, give us words of, of knowledge to see what's happening. We are Pentecostal people, but oh, how sad. The gifts are no more operative in our life and in our churches. I don't know when last I heard a prophecy in church. I don't know when last I heard a word of knowledge. I don't know when last I heard a word of wisdom. And we can see the unseeable when we have a relationship with God and God unveils that which He alone knows and, what, and, and the people who are going through, through the problems. Oh God. Oh God. My Bible says this to me. I must care for my brother. I must be his burden bearer. But if I'm preoccupied with myself and my family and my wants and my likes, then I'm sad to say, I'll never see anything. I will never be touched with the feelings of other people's infirmity. The greatness of a man of God is not his preaching ability, his teaching ability, or how he starts churches all over the world. The greatness of a man of God is how he identifies himself with the people of God. He sees that which no man sees. He looks beyond the veil that people set up and he sees the heartache, the distress. Hallelujah. The answer is so simple why they don't see the heartache and despair in the church, in the world, in the community. For the simple fact, we are living in our comfort zone. We lack nothing. We have a roof over our head. The wife has a car. The husband has a car. The children have a car. The children are well fed and dressed, going to the best school. Why must we involve ourselves in the pain and suffering of others? We isolate ourselves. Oh yes, we with that family. Oh yes. <laughs> we enjoy the family. Oh, we do good to the family. Yes, we have our family altar and all that. Oh yes, we go to church. But do you involve yourself in the plight of others? Let me say this. The power of ministry is not our preaching ability. The power of ministry is how we relate to people. Jesus died for people. Let's talk now about one thing that's very vital to me. And that's the power of identification. Which simply means becoming one with another. Note how Nehemiah became one with his people. He not only became one with being touched with their pain and sorrow and disgrace. He done something that you and I failed to do. He done something which I believe is a picture of what Jesus came to do on the cross. But even before the cross, Jesus had done it already. You know what Nehemiah done? 
You know what Nehemiah done? He took on the sons of the people in Jerusalem. Just as Jesus became son on the cross of Calvary. Just as Jesus identified himself with sinful man. So did Nehemiah. How does he do this? How does Nehemiah do this? Note carefully. Note carefully. His prayer of confession. You got to read chapter 1 over and over and over and over and over. That God might imprint his word and his character in your soul and spirit. Listen what Nehemiah, what the Bible says about Nehemiah. Nehemiah confessed the sins of the children of Israel. Now listen to what he says. He confesses the sins of Israel, which we, we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor thy judgments, which thou hast commanded Moses thy servant. Hear, my dear brother, I thank you for the way you support this ministry. I thank you for the way you stand with me. We have a sense of identifying. We don't want to go into detail. But I tell you, what in I do is a sacrifice. We thank God for giving us the ability to sacrifice. We're not supported by anyone. We stand alone. But me, let me tell you, if you're a man of God and you stand alone and you stand with God, I don't care how many other people have this organization, that organization with them. When you stand alone and you stand with God, you're in the majority. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Identification. Jesus took our sins upon himself. Hallelujah, hallelujah. He that knew no sin became sin. Listen what Nehemiah said in his prayer. We, 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 we have sinned. It's very easy to pray. It's difficult to identify. It's very difficult for you to allow yourself to be viewed as others who are far from God are being viewed. You know, there's a classic example of identification in the New Testament. And the, the best illustration I can give of identification in the New Testament is none other than our Savior Jesus Christ. Here was John the Baptist. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. I believe he has a strong voice like me. <laughs> I thank God for my voice. Not for my looks though. <laughs> oh, praise God. Now I thank you for everything. My wife always says to me, I must, must have been a beautiful baby, but baby, look at me now. <laughs> Why do I crack a joke when I'm so serious? It's just to clear your mind, brother. Jesus identified himself with man. John preached, the people responded. He was preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. They came forward 
and to be a part of this kingdom they had to identify with that which John was preaching about they were to expect the coming of the king and by being baptized in water by John they were voicing this but notice that when John baptizes them they come up out of the water confessing their sins because their understanding although limited they knew that in order to be a part of this kingdom, they had to not only for confess their sins, they had to forsake their sins. To be a part of this impending coming kingdom of God, there had to be no sinner man. They had to be in some way regenerated. Not that that baptism in that point of time could regenerate them, but it was a, it was a, a picture of regeneration, of being washed, of being made clean. And they came out confessing. I can imagine what they confessed. I was an adulterer. I was a gambler. I was a murderer. I stole from my father and my mother. I robbed the boss of time. I did this, I did that. And it's in this environment that Jesus walks to John. You know, for there to be a kingdom, there has to be a king. Are you with me, Ian? And for there to be a kingdom and a king, there has to be subjects. Jesus walked into the water as the king of kings. And walking towards John, he was identifying himself with all the people that had been baptized, who had come up out of the water confessing their sins. He that knew no sin identified with these subjects, the sinful ones. Here was the, my Lord, here was the sinless one who identified himself with the sinful ones. He was willing to take their sins. You know what John said to him? John, John had a perception of who the Lord was. John, 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 John could see what no man could see. He said to the Lord, <laughs> hey, look at Jesus. Look at, look at, look at, look at, look at, look at. Hey, hey, there's no, there's no, 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 no need for me to, to, to baptize you. Rather, you baptize me. What did Jesus say? No, John. Let's do it this way. Suffer it to be so. For this is the will of my Father. What was the will of the Father? From the very onset of his ministry, he had to identify himself with sinful man. A lot of people teach, and they're not wrong, that Jesus carried the sins of the world at the cross. No, my boy. No, my sister. No, my brother. Listen to this man of God. Identification, like I said, tells us we become one with. And Jesus began to carry the load of the sins of the world at that baptism service. When he walked out of that water, I tell you, he had the load of people's problems, the load of people's sin and shame on him. And when he went to the cross of Calvary, there is where he destroyed it. But for three and a half years, he carried our pain and our sin and our sorrow. He carried it. Yeah, me? He carried it, but it never became a part of him. 
He carried it, but it never entered him. Hallelujah. Amen. So, we see that Jesus, Nehemiah, Nehemiah was a foreshadow of how that Jesus would identify himself. Amen. This man prayed a prayer, we have sinned, we have sinned. What a man of God. You know, we live in a time, a time in the church. It's sad to say the church is just pointing fingers at the world. Calling them sinners, running them down. We even do it in the church as well. We, 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 we accuse each other. We're not here to accuse my brother and my sister. Jesus took their sins upon him. Why in the world has God called us? Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. We are to take their sin and their shame and carry it for them and pray them through and identify ourselves with them. We know better than them. We've just been saved by grace. Don't look down upon people, no matter how bad they are. Let me say this. I'm losing my notes now. Near, first and foremost, near, Nehemiah put his life online. Nehemiah put his life online. If you go to chapter 2, you discover this. The end of the chapter tells us that Nehemiah was a cupbearer. What this job simply meant that before the king drank his wine, Nehemiah had himself to drink of it. So if that wine was poisoned, then who would die? Not the king, but Nehemiah. seen someone that's sad and forlorn. They can be dressed to the hilt in coordinated colors, etc, etc. They can have a smile on their face sometimes. But we that are of the Spirit can look beyond the facade and we see this person sad and sorrowful. Nehemiah put his life online. He went to perform his duties. And the king noticed that Nehemiah was not himself. He was sad and forlorn. Sorrow not only filled his heart, his whole disposition spelt of sorrow and pain and heartache. The king who loved this man, no doubt, said to his servant, Nehemiah, what's wrong? I've never ever seen you this way, so sorrowful. 
What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? Tell me. And when the king asked him that, notice what the Bible said. He prayed again. He whispered a prayer in his heart. God, let me find favor. God, let me find favor. How does this speak of Jesus? My Bible says that Jesus grew in stature before God and man. When your ways please God, your ways will please man. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. The ways of Nehemiah pleased God. And no wonder it pleased that king whose faith was contrary to that of the faith of Nehemiah. And he said these words to the king, words of courage, of boldness, but he said it with heartache and pain. O oh, king, how can I be content? How can I be joyful? How can I be happy when my father's graves are polluted, when the walls are broken down, when the gates of the city are burnt? My nation, my city is in ruins. How in the world can I be happy when my brethren are suffering? How can I be happy? This is why you see me like this. I'm filled with despair and heartache. I'm touched with the feelings of my brothers and my sisters. I have identified with them. I cannot continue here. I cannot live in this comfort. I cannot live in this jubilation. I cannot live in, 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 in lacking nothing when my brethren are suffering. Oh, King, do something for me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, blessed Jesus. Blessed, blessed Jesus. My brother, my sister, my pastor friend, ascended gifts no matter who and what you are in the giftings. Are you in the ministry because it brings popularity? Are you in it because it brings you great joy and satisfaction? Let me say this. The two men of God are in the ministry because they identify with those who are far removed from the blessings of God. It's not being happy. You walk around all times if you are a true man of God with a heart that's broken because you are attached with the feelings of people's pain. Oh yes, you'll be consoled by God at times. Oh yes, you'll be comforted by the Holy Spirit who is the comforter. But because you walk amongst the people, you smell like the sheep. You smell like the sheep. And in this modern day churches, man, you can't get near the pastor. You can't even shake his hand. Not my Jesus. You're into the homes of the people. These days they only associate themselves with the leadership. Jesus associated with everyone. Yes, for 12 years, he taught the apostles. For three and a half years, he taught the 12 apostles. But he mingled amongst the crowds. 
You can't get near to these big time men of God today. You can't get near them. Not all of them. There's some great men in the city of Auckland. I don't want to mention their names, but there's some great men. And some are in it for fame and fortune. But some are there because they love people. They love all people because God loves all people. Hallelujah. How can I be happy? How can I be happy? How can I have a three-course meal when that person doesn't even have a piece of bread? Some guys, you watch him on TV, man. Every time they preach, is a new suit. And then you know what they do? Oh, they give to the poor. But you know how they give to the poor? They beg from us and the world that they might take what we give them to give to the poor. They never give their own. What is the church coming to? How can I be happy? And the king asked him, and the king asked him, what do you want of me? The king that was not a Jew, a king who, who, who served other gods, wanted to help this man because this man carried the presence of God. You know, when, when, when you are a true man of God carrying the presence of God, people can't resist you. They might detest your religion, but the presence of God is so rich in you that they will go out of their way to help you. You'd be surprised how many people that are not saved have ministered to me. I believe sometimes more of the unsaved have ministered to me than the saved people. He said, Lord, my king, I want to go home. I want to go home, I want to go home, I want to go home. <laughs> my people are suffering. My people are destitute. The walls are broken down and the enemy runs rampant in and out. You know when walls are broken down, who comes in a home? The rats, the vermin, the muck and mire of the world and they pollute the whole nation. Do you know that rats bring plagues? Uh, and, and, and it's not the rat, it's the fleas upon the rat that bring the plagues. And in this sense, when the gates and the walls are broken down, people come in and they pollute the nations, the people of the community for the simple reason. They haven't got fleas, they've got horrible sins upon them that they pass over to God's people. I'm concerned, okay? Please, 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 please let me go. How does this apply to Jesus? How does this apply to Jesus? In Isaiah chapter 6, there's a double reference prophecy. God cries out, who shall I send? And who should go? Who shall I send? And who shall go? We know Isaiah, which means God's salvation. He answered the call and said, Here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. Which is a picture of what took place in the eons of time in heaven. When the eternal 
God had got together, Father, Son, and Spirit. And it was said by God, Who shall I send? And who shall go? No angel could go. No one could go from heaven except Jesus. And he cried with joy, with elation, knowing full well what was ahead of him. No wonder the Bible says he put his eyes to the flint as a flint to Jerusalem, knowing full well he'd be sacrificed on the cross of Calvary. He said to the Father, and he said to the Spirit, Here am I. Here am I, send me. <laughs> Glory to God. How does, how does this affect you and I? We see. We don't hear. But what we see doesn't affect us. But we've got no excuse today. We are seen and we heard a word from the Spirit of God. Will you go and do something constructive? Will you ask God to help you to change these people's life who are found in plight and sorrow and distress? Will you cry, here am I? Send me. This man was in comfort zone, Nehemiah, the consoler, the comforter. And he said, here am I, send me. To be a cupbearer, although a dangerous job, he lacked nothing. Everything was at his disposal. The best home, the best food, the best, the, the best uh, 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 clothing, uh, I can dare say the best chariot. But he was willing to keep that all up. To go and build, rebuild Jerusalem. I close with this. This is again a picture of Jesus. Turn with me to the Bible. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of God. Praise God. Let me just give it a... I haven't got time to turn there now. The Bible said that Jesus left the portals of glory. He emptied himself of his glory and his power and became a servant. He left his comfort zone. He lived there where he was worshipped, honoured and adored. To come to the sinful world. To rebuild the spirit of man. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Blessed be the Lord. Oh, barabakushandara. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
Will you leave your comfort zone? Will you deny yourself the pleasures of the world and go and bitter the life of men? Will you cry here, am I sin me? Or is God to look somewhere else? God bless you. God bless you, God bless you. And I trust you will answer this call. Father, we come to you in and I in the name of Jesus. The word has been strong, yet the anointing was there. We pray for the plight of mankind throughout the world. Lest you sin preachers, this world will die in its sin. You're looking for men and women and you're crying out, who will I send and who will go? But before they answer God, let them sit down. Let them weep. Let them mourn. Let them fast and pray. And ask themselves, are they willing to identify themselves? Are they willing, like Jesus, to make themselves of no reputation? to lay aside their glory, their honor, and their prestige, and leave aside all the comforts of the world, leave their families even, and go and minister, that others might know the joy and the peace of God. I prayed in Jesus' name. God bless you.